there's a, a reality today that we're living in a culture that is increasingly raging against biblical teaching, and that includes motherhood. We seem to have more than ever a disdain for all things biblical. And this has led to much, much false teaching and, and wrong representation of what the scripture actually says about the role of a woman according to God or what God has for them in their home and in society and in the church. In fact, I would argue that the culture is actually trying to force women into its own mold. Now church, ladies in here this morning, I want you to write something down. It's not going to come onto the screen, but I want you to know that the Bible never demeans women. It actually esteems them. The Bible never demeans women. It actually esteems them. Now, if you're in John chapter 19, we're going to read just a few verses from here. They're going to come to the screen for those of you who do not have your Bible, and then we're going to kind of jettison from here. And it says this in verse number 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, speaking about John here, he said to, he said to this disciple, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her, speaking of Mary, into his home. Now, I want us to just stop right there for just a moment. In his dying moments, Jesus on the cross displayed concern and care and compassion for his mother. He commanded that she be taken care of. Now, many believe that it was necessary for Jesus to speak these words as the culture of that day was such that without being publicly spoken, it was highly possible that Mary, like many other women, would have had to fend for herself. And so many believe that it was necessary for Jesus to speak this. But before our culture calls out Scripture as archaic, before our culture calls out Scripture as out of touch, perhaps our society should look at the statistics and stop blaming Christianity and the Bible for the way that women have been demeaned. There is a woman by the name of Helen Foster Snow. Does that ring a bell with anybody in here? Helen Foster Snow was an American journalist and winner of the Nobel Peace Prize for her work in the, the late 70s and early 80s in China. And she said this, one can judge a civilization by the way that it treats its women. It was a statement that she made. One can judge its civilization by the way that it treats its women. I had an opportunity on Wednesday of this past week to speak with a, a woman by the name of Jennifer Butler. She's an executive for an organization here in Ionia called RAVE. How many of you have heard of RAVE? RAVE is the Relief After Violent Encounter Organization. It's a place for domestic abuse and sexual abuse for women here in our county. I spoke, I spoke at length with Jennifer and some of the things that she shared with me, statistics were appalled. I was appalled by them. Today in America, violence ranks as the leading cause for injury for girls and women between the ages of 11 and 49. It's the top thing, violence against women. 
is the top thing. She then goes on to share with me that there are three times as many animal shelters in the United States as there are shelters for battered women. Three times as many for animals as there are for battered women. She then went on to to give me some of these these statistics for our, our city here, within our city limits here of Ionia. She said that last year alone, they had 342 incidences of domestic violence. Those are just recorded incidences here in our city limits. 342. She said two of those were fatal. The women died because of the, the, the violence against them. She then goes on to tell me that in the same report, that Ionia, the city of Ionia, had 178 sexual violent incident reports here within our city limits. That is more than one a day between the two of them. More than one a day, call. And those are just recorded or reported acts of violence against women. She said that they serve some six to eight hundred women every single year through therapy and through counseling, women who have been, been battered by a partner in some way, shape, or form. And due to the, the mixed nature of this crowd, I'm going to steer clear of some of the things that, that she said uh, to me about the wicked and destructive nature of pornography and human trafficking that's even talked about here in our city limits. I could not help but get choked up as I spoke to her on the phone. As I was, I was putting together this sermon, I, I could not help but think that there are more houses of ill repute here in Ionia than there are McDonald's in our county. And that's saying a lot, because McDonald's is everywhere. There are more houses of ill repute than there are McDonald's. She then went on to tell me that I was the first pastor that she had talked to in this area, and she couldn't even tell you how long. The first pastor, which even broke my heart further as I was putting this together, and I thought back to to Helen Foster Snow's comment, you can judge a civilization by how it treats its women, by how it treats its women. And yet our culture says that the Bible and Christianity demeans women. I, I believe it's backwards. I believe our culture. I believe our society. I believe our entertainment system. Our movies. Our music videos. I believe those are the things. Pornography. Those are the things that demean women. All created for and endorsed by our culture. There is a man by the name of Alvin J. Schmidt who wrote a book called Under the Influence, How Christianity Transforms Civilizations. And this is what he wrote. He said the birth of Jesus was the turning point in the history of women. Whatever else our Lord did, he immeasurably exalted womanhood. Yet neither Christ nor the early church ever preached an outright revolution. Rather, by their example. And the followers reflected that example, they showed how we should have a relationship with a woman, how we should raise their dignity and their freedom and their right to a level previously unknown by any culture. Jesus broke so many cultural barriers 
and molds and customs that concern women in scripture. He spoke to women in public. He acknowledged women. He allowed a woman to wash his feet before the crucifixion. In fact, he spoke to a woman first post-resurrection. As we saw just a few weeks ago, you know, both the crucifixion and at the resurrection of Christ, as recorded in Scripture, women of faith stood by Jesus and demonstrated their love for him multiple times. Christ valued their commitment to his work. He valued their courage to stand even in the darkest hours of his life. You know, the early church itself was made up of a significant percentage of women. The early church. Not just men, but women had significant roles in the earthly ministry of Christ in the early church. So let's get get very, very clear about something here, about our culture for just a moment. Our culture has an agenda too. And they want you to fit into the mold of that agenda. But I want you to notice something that's going to come to the screen. Christ came to set us free from molds. He came to set us free from molds, and instead he sacrificed his life, and he left a model for us to follow. Amen, church? Christ left a model for us to follow. It was only in Christ are are we to find freedom from condemnation in our culture. It is only in Christ that we find freedom from the criticisms of our society. It is only in Christ that we find freedom from the judgment that is cast in this world. Only in Christ do we experience freedom from guilt. Are we given grace only in Christ? This morning, I, I, I want to spend a few moments of time that we have remaining to talk just briefly about some of the things the Bible actually says about women. I want to challenge us to stop listening to the cultural norms around us and to follow the truth that was given to us by God. We must remember today that we should treat all women, all women, our wives, our mothers, our daughters, and every other woman with honor and dignity and respect. So in an effort not to isolate my audience, I want to simply say that this message is primarily about women or moms or anyone who is a woman, or knows a woman, or has a mom, or can spell mom. That would be everybody in here. So this is is for every, every person in this room. I also want to say, say one more thing, um, that it's completely impossible for me in the time allotted to cover every single thing that the Bible says about women, unless you guys want to be here till six o'clock tonight, which I'm down for. Um, my wife may kill me for that, but um, no, she, I, was just, I was just joking. She, she would never do that. And so I want to personally challenge each and every one of you. I want to personally challenge you after we leave here today to read through the Bible for yourself and see what conclusions you come to about what God's word says about women. And see if you actually think if our culture has gotten it right or if they've gotten it wrong. Uh, I believe that our culture wants to diminish 
uh, the very truth that is in God's word as though it's some uh, archaic book that demeans women and that the church is some old-fashioned institution that degrades females. And I would beg to differ. I would beg to differ. Church, the first thing I want you to see this morning is that women are not inferior. Amen? Amen, ladies? Women are not inferior. You know, I was talking to a buddy of mine over the course of the last week, and I was sharing some of my notes for Mother's Day, right? This is, this is probably one of the scariest days of the year to get up and preach, right? Because I'm a guy, um, and probably 70% of the audience is women. And so this is one of the scariest days of the year for me to preach, and I was sharing my notes uh, with a pastor friend of mine, and, um, and I, I, he's like, well, what's your very first point? And I said, well, women are not inferior, to which he responds to me uh, in, in an ever so pastorly fashion. Well, you know that you probably have people in there thinking, well, women are not as strong as men. And we were just jo- kind of joking back and forth, right? He's like, I want to play devil's advocate for just a moment. And he's like, women are not as strong as men. And I was like, well, the best counter to that is when was the last time you saw a man have a baby? <laughs> and then we just laughed. on. The, I, I figured you guys would laugh because we laughed on the phone uh, for probably about 10 minutes. And so listen, some of the most intelligent people that I know and that I read after are women. They're women. In fact, I live with one. In creation, in creation... While man displayed the image of God and represented him in the form of rule and responsibility, Eve displayed humanity's glory. Eve displayed humanity's glory, and she was the living embodiment of that. God not only blessed Adam with Eve, but in turn Eve, as the woman, blessed the entire race of man. That's why she was given her special name. Look at this verse on the screen, Genesis 3.20. And it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living things. She was the mother. You see, church, Eve was Adam's necessary partner who made his existence complete. She made it complete. She signaled the completion of creation. You know, Eve's creation reminds us that she was fundamentally equal to Adam. She was fundamentally equal. She was taken out of Adam, so she was made from the exact same stuff that Adam was. She was not inferior. In fact, she was the spiritual counterpart to her husband. You know, God made something very important in his creation of Eve. He gave Adam what the scripture calls a helper or a helpmate, depending on the version of the Bible that you read from, a helper. I mean, that fact is still true today. Men, would you, would you agree with me that we need a lot of help? Women, would you agree that your men need a lot of help? Yeah. Men still need a lot of help. I want you to, to kind of just pause with me for a moment. I just want you to kind of look up here. I don't want you to, to miss this, okay? Being called a helper, ladies, is significant. In no way does it demean you as a woman. There was only one other individual in the Bible that was called a helper, and it was God himself. God himself. 
And so you've been given uh, a title, a role, to be, to be the helper of, of your spouse, uh, of the men that surround you. You know, initially Eve was flawless. Initially, she was excellent. There was no other woman that could have surpassed Eve until the curse of sin. Until the curse of sin. You know what's interesting is that um, Eve's beauty from a physical standpoint is never mentioned in the Bible. Not one time is Eve's beauty mentioned. I, I, believe, I believe there was a purpose and a, and a reason for that. Her position was emphasized, not her beauty. She was the helper, the helpmate of Adam. And the point here is very clear from Scripture. The focus was primarily her relationship with her creator and her husband and then her family following that. It was the position in which she gave, not the looks in which she had. And today, church, we should be instilling those beliefs into the generation of what God calls beauty. Our next generation, our daughters and our sons should understand what that beauty actually means. And it's to build healthy relationships within the family context and without. That's being faithful. That's being faithful to God. And being faithful far outweighs any prize that this world has to offer. Amen, church? You see, the, the truth is, ladies, moms, the world needs you. This world needs you. And it's what you were created to do. You are to partner with God in helping, in helping. You know, no one can help the family and nobody can help society, and nobody can help the church in the way that you ladies can. It was the way God made you. He designed for that to be. And so the second thing I want us to see is that women have generational and eternal influence. Have generational and eternal influence. I want to narrow down that statement, though, for just a moment and say that while all women have generational and eternal influence, mothers, mothers have an incredible impact. Moms. You know, in Scripture, we read about a young man by the name of Timothy who was raised by his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice. And we see that Timothy was raised by a single mom and he was mixed race. Jew, he had a Jewish mother and he had a Greek father. And let's just say that he did not have an easy upbringing, especially in Bible times. And yet Paul said something very significant about this young man. Look at 2 Timothy. It's going to hit the screen for you. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded that it is in you also. He's talking about the faith of Timothy. Ladies, ladies, listen to me. Please do not lose perspective on the impact that you are and can make in this world. Your influence is being felt, and although you may question it at times, please, please, please do not lose hope. Please. I'm, I'm begging of you as your pastor to see that you're doing kingdom work. Amen, ladies. Amen, church. Our women are doing kingdom work by displaying the glory of God. Whether you're in a season of washing bottles and feeding your child formula. Or you're in a season of running to lesson after lesson after practice. Or you're preparing for an empty nest. 
Or maybe you're making calls and sending texts and video chatting with your kids. Or maybe you're babysitting your grandchildren for your, for your children. Maybe you're raising them. It's all kingdom work. It all matters to God. All of it. Your influence, your impact on the family and society is essential. I love, I love what, what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 22, probably one of the most famous verses that people love to throw out and use out of context. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. He will not depart. You guys know that verse? You ever heard it once or twice or maybe 600 times, right? I want, I want to just pause right there for a moment. Please, please, please know that that verse that is on the screen is not a promise from the Bible. It was a principle that was given. It was not a promise that your child is not going to be a sinner or something like that. Because people have that, that misconception that, hey, I, I raised them in the church, and so they better do every single thing that I taught them to do. And then your kid's way off in left field, and you're like, what happened? Anybody ever find yourself there? Yeah, listen, that was not a promise from Scripture. It was a principle. And so please, parents, it doesn't matter how old your children are, please be patient. Please be patient with your children. Please. It, it takes time for them to figure it out. And unfortunately, the brain damage uh, was passed on through their father, and it usually leaves them when they get into their 30s and 40s. Sorry, I just had to, I just had to take a little jab, guys. It was all fun and games. I'm a part of that group too, okay? The point of the passage, the point of the passage there in Proverbs chapter 22 is to know that what you put in to your kids, what you teach them sticks and stays, but ultimately it's your child's responsibility as to how they're going to respond to what you have taught them, what you have shown them, the life that you, you have displayed through Christ. And so kids that means everybody in here because you guys all came from a mom and a dad kids teenagers listen up for just a moment proverbs 1 says that my son hear the instructions of your father and forsake not the law of your mother for they shall be an ornament of grace unto your head and a chain about your neck your children are just that children and in time through their trials and by the grace of God hopefully one day they will come to a place of thanksgiving and gratitude and honor for you mom and dad I want to encourage each one of us in here and I want to remind us that honoring our mothers is biblical we often overlook that one commandment. Commandment number five, honor your mother and father. It was the first commandment that was given with promise. And what was that promise? But longevity of life. It's what I call the forgotten commandment. The one, everyone knows about lying. Everyone knows about adultery. Everyone knows about not having other gods. But people have a tendency to forget the honor mob, the mom and the dad. Honor the mom and the dad. But, but just remember that honoring our moms is biblical. When we honor mom, we're honoring God. That, that would have been a great spot. When we are honoring our mothers, we are honoring God, church. You know, it's equally important to note that it's not just mothers 
who are to be honored. It's not just mothers, it's fathers as well. And we're going to get there on Father's Day, just a few short weeks away. But the Bible also says more than just being honored, it also says that women are to be esteemed. Women are to be esteemed. That's the third thing I want you to, to write down or note this morning. You know, that word esteemed means to be respected or revered or held in high regard. You know, from the earliest teachings of the Bible, we are shown that women are to be esteemed. From the creation of Eve and her position, we see that God's word establishes the way in which women should be viewed and treated. Mothers are to be honored. Wives are to be loved. They are to be cared for and cherished. Every woman outside of that should still be treated with dignity and respect. Amen, church? I want to kind of chase a, a rabbit trail for just a moment. I said that women were to be treated with dignity and respect, but there are two, two buzzwords in our culture. Buzzwords that make me furious every single time one of them is used. And it's the words feminism and misogyny. Feminism and misogyny. Two buzzwords in our culture. Now I'm not going to get into all of the nuances uh, of both of those, except to say this. In feminism and misogyny, it all comes down to a worship issue. It's a worship issue. In feminism, the real agenda is because the woman believes that she should be worshipped. In misogyny, it's the other side. The, the man believes that he should be worshipped. Nowhere in scripture can I point to you, and I don't think there's a person in here who could show me a Bible verse that says man is to be worshipped in any regard whatsoever. The only person to be worshipped is God. And so the real agenda at its very core of feminism and misogyny is to rip apart all biblical truth. And our culture takes those two ideas and they flaunt them as though they're something good. And guess what? It's the very work of Satan because it's the antithesis of what is true. Any group that or that's organized under the heading of feminism any group that's under the heading of misogyny, saying that the man is to be worshipped and praised, guess what? That's the work of Satan. It is the anti-Christ. It is the opposite of what we're taught to do. I love what Paul Tripp said. He said that we worship our way into sin and we must worship our way out of it. Did you guys catch that? We worship our, we're always worshipping something or someone. The only time that worship is, is pure, is authentic, is when we're worshiping the one and only true God. Amen, church? The Bible never calls for man or women to be worshipped, and yet many think that it does, or many wish that it would. You know, many passages of Scripture are completely taken out of context and, and stripped of their original meanings and, and misapplied and misrepresented. Only when God is properly worshipped will men and women discover how to love and honor and respect one another. I've learned in this life that the greater my worship is of God, the greater my submission is to Him. You guys ever find that in your life? The greater my worship to God, the greater my submission. And the greater my submission, the greater my obedience to that truth. And then guess what? That after I've obeyed the truths, I have healthier relationships, not just with God, but with all of the people in my circle of influence. 
We used to, to, to tell our teenagers all the time in our youth ministry, we can't be right with the people around us until we're right with God. Our vertical relationship with God has to be right in order for us to be right with the people alongside of us. We live in a culture where society is turning against God's word and attacking the worship of God. And when it attacks the worship of God, feminism and misogyny, and I'm going to throw a third one out there, I'm not really going to touch on it today, but the third one is racism. Those, those three social constructs come as a result of the rejection of the worship of God. As a rejection of the worship of God. It's something that I would call replacement theology. Replacement theology. It's when we want to worship our race or our gender or our color over God, and it will always lead to chaos. We see it over and over and over in Scripture where we try to dismiss and marginalize the answer to society's problems. But the worship of God will always make you honor His Word. And in honoring His Word, you must walk in His ways. And if you walk in His ways, you won't be uh, one who follows misogyny or feminism or even racism at its very core. God's word tells us that we're to esteem women. And if they're not your mother, and if they're not your wife, guys, you should see them as your sister. You should see them as your sister. We should respect them. We should watch out for them. We should be a blessing to them. And a word to the men in here, 1 Peter chapter 3 says, Likewise, husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto, unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. When Paul said to dwell with them, he was saying, Husbands, treasure. Treasure your wife. Treasure them. You know, I, I have been with my wife um, we're approaching um, three weeks from now. We'll, we'll have been together for 16 years. <laughs> and in October of this year, um, we'll have been married for 14 of those 16 years. And I've learned um, a lot of things over the course of that 16 years together. Men, would you agree that you've probably learned a lot? Over the course of time, you've right. I, I've learned, um, I've learned a lot over the course of that time um, with my wife. Um, I did not always treasure my wife. Um, I did not always respect. I did not always give give her the dignity that she um, she did not or that she deserved. I did not always watch over her. I was not always a blessing um, to her. Um, and she's been super grace filled. Um, every step of the process. Um, I don't always get the opportunity to say nice things about you in front of everybody. And so I learned three things uh, that I will impart as wisdom to you um, men in this room, um, married men, 
uh, men who are single and not gotten to the point of marriage. There are three things uh, that you that you need to know about your wife. Three things. Um, things that I have t- taken me almost 16 years to learn. Okay, so but there are three things. So men, this is just a little bit of uh, a little tip for you this morning. Okay. There are three things that you must know about your wife. The first is what makes your wife tick. What makes your wife tick? What tickles your wife and what ticks her off? What makes her tick? What tickles her and what ticks her off? Those three things, men. If you can know, if you learn those three things, your life would be a lot more simplistic. Just throwing that out there to you. Just throwing it out there. The last thing I want us to see this morning as we begin to land this plane is that women are invaluable examples. Women are invaluable examples. Invaluable. You know, God's word makes it very clear that women serve as an amazing example of grace, of beauty, of love, of tenderness, of intelligence. And in speaking on marriage and in what that should look like, Peter, again, makes a very interesting statement about women. Look at this verse that hits the screen. It says, Who's adorning? Let it not be the outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. Significance here in this passage is powerful, but I believe it's life-altering for the woman because Peter places emphasis on the power of the resurrection in someone's life and what that actually does to the person's life. But in this case, he directed it specifically towards women. And he said, know that age is inevitable. Know that age is inevitable. He says trying to look beautiful externally does not have much benefit in the end. That doesn't mean that you can just not take care of yourself. So please, please don't walk away and say, Pastor said I don't have to take care of myself. That's not what I said. <clears throat> Looking beautiful externally does not have much benefit in the end. But real beauty and real grace comes from knowing Jesus Christ. Amen, church? Because of the resurrection, your new life in Christ that you have, it's an imperishable beauty with inside of you. It's something that never fades away, but it always exudes from the way that we live our lives. Jesus took the ugliness of this earth when he died on the cross. And when you come to know him and experience him, you receive a beauty that this world could never reproduce with surgeries and diets and exercises. Ladies, you you become a living example of the beauty of God's grace because you've met Jesus. The, The text tells us that we were made in the image of God and we were remade through salvation to display that beauty. And at the very end, he he says it's priceless. It's invaluable. 
And so, Mom, Mom, your identity is not found in your home. Mom, your identity is not found in your husband. It's not found in your children. It's not found in your career. Your identity is not defined by your past or the things that you've had to walk through. It's not defined by what your parents said. Your identity is not found in, in the clothes that you wear or the car that you drive. But your identity is found in having your life in Christ. God's word is filled with a wealth uh, of help and knowledge to point to that. It's, it's filled with hope for the lost one. It's a source of strength and encouragement for us. And for all women everywhere. doesn't matter what season of life you find yourself in. Your identity is found in your creator and your relationship with the Lord. And with that, I say thank you. Thank you, moms. Thank you from the well.